0: Snuff production. Hey, I'm Matt Dwyer, and welcome to Sleep, where Professor Harriet Hiscock and Associate Professor Emma Sreberos from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute help you identify sleeping problems in your children from infancy through to secondary school and give you easy-to-understand steps to improve their sleep cycles and overall health. So our children are getting older and we're going to look at their movement into adolescence. We've got things like puberty and big lifestyle changes with social gatherings and making new friends and having more activities to do after school. Harriet, what sleep cycles do we see here and how much sleep do they need?
1: Yeah, so we're moving into the the adolescent phase and the high school phase and they need less sleep now, but still probably more than what we think. So nine hours a night is really what adolescents need and that's... Um, you know, certainly for those early years of high school and even up towards later years when they reach the more adult age and the eight hours of sleep. But the really tricky thing here for adolescents is that there's a natural shift to them wanting to go to sleep later and get up later. And that is across all adolescents around the world that we see that. And if you had an adolescent child living in Providence, Rhode Island in America, your child would start school at 10 a.m., to accommodate that natural shift in their sleep, but we don't do that here in Australia, as far as I'm aware. And so the adolescent brain wants to go to bed late, get up late, but that's not compatible with school. So that's one of the biggest changes I think in adolescence.
2: Yeah, and I think with the the amount of sleep that the adolescents end up getting, it, it generally is around seven and a half hours on average. And so that means that they're kind of missing out on about two hours of the sleep that they need during this developmental period. And, and the other thing that we see that's different um, in adolescent sleep is kind of our drive for sleep. So, So this is something that we that also operates for younger kids too, and so basically, and adults too. Um, so so this drive for sleep means that the longer it's been since the last time you've been sleepy, the more that drive will increase over time. But in adolescence, we actually see a change in that sleep drive. So it actually, because of biological reasons, is the lowest um, that we see in the whole developmental spectrum. So the drive for sleep in adolescence is even lower than what we would see in adults uh, for example, so that kind of decrease in drive for sleep, coupled with the kind of changes in our natural circadian rhythm or um, body, you know, cycle internal clock, can you know create a recipe, I guess, for mm. the sleep problems in this group.
0: So, what are those developmental changes, and why is sleep so important for them in adolescence?
2: Yeah. So one change that we see is um, puberty, and there's many um, hormonal changes and uh, that occur with puberty. But we also know that adolescence is a time of peak. Brain development um, and maturation, and those things coincide with sleep problems too. But there's also huge environmental changes in adolescence. So we see the commencement of high school, and that requires you know the management of many different subjects at school, many different teachers. You know, increases in homework that can influence um, when kids are ready to go to sleep. We can also see an increase in um, extracurricular activities, which can also play an impact. And also, adolescents may start a part job too. So that's another environmental change. So it's a huge amount of biological and environmental change.
0: Mm. Is that transitional period from being in primary school and moving into high school is that a really quick change or does that happen over quite some years?
1: Oh, it's it will happen over 12 months or so, but it's gradual, you know, 12 to 24 months. And like all age groups, there's going to be large variation. And so it's that, that sort of common sense rule of thumb. If your adolescent is waking up by themselves in the morning, if they're generally in a good mood, at least with their peers, they may not be with you because one of their roles is to in adolescence is to grow apart from you and become an independent person in their own right so um they're going to be pushing back potentially but if they're getting up by themselves getting through class time without falling asleep and you know getting on with their peers then they're probably getting enough sleep and that, that's that sort of common sense approach. I certainly have seen adolescents go through major growth spurts in terms of height and I find that they have to get up in the morning to go to school but come the weekend they might actually have two or three hour naps and you might think, oh God, there's something wrong, why are they napping? But they that seems to coincide with major height, growth spurts, and then Mm. once that growth spurts over, then they go back to not having that daytime nap, but they seem to catch up during that time.
0: Mm. What other things happen when they're not getting enough sleep?
1: So again, I think it's a bit like the primary school kids, you know, they'll be uh, grumpy, angry, um, they'll find it harder to regulate their emotions, so quicker to fly off the handle, mm. moody, increased moodiness, can affect their appetite as well. They may eat more, they may actually eat less. And, of course, it can impair their learning and their memory as well. So all those things
2: happen when we don't get enough sleep, as they do for adults as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's a developmental period where you can see kind of a vicious cycle kind of occurring with the lack of sleep. And so, for example, if a young person's staying up late doing their homework, then they get less sleep that night and then are sleepier during the day and they're not able to to be as efficient, I guess, at school and, and learn as well. And then that night they're then doing their homework again, staying up late, doing it, but they're actually really tired and so it's kind of not a productive kind of use of time. Mm. So, And then you kind of see the vicious cycle kind of continue on and on. And uh, you can see this vicious cycle occurring too with caffeine use, for example. So not getting enough sleep, having caffeine to try to you know, keep you up and alert and and then that then contributing to not being able to get off to sleep at night and so on. So you can start to see more of these kind of patterns of of poor sleep and poor sleep-related behaviours kind of feeding into one another.
1: Yeah, and I think the other big issue is depression in adolescence. So we, whilst we might see more anxiety-type symptoms in primary school kids, you know, adolescence is a, a risk time for depression and there's been quite a lot of research looking at the relationship between sleep and depression in adolescence. Mm-hmm. And there is some evidence that um, if you have not enough sleep for, you know, persistently short sleep, not enough sleep, that actually leads to depression. So we always thought it was only the other way, that if you were depressed, you didn't sleep well, but there's some evidence in adolescence that on its own, not getting enough sleep leads to depression. Mm. And I think that's a really hard thing often to disentangle. Is my adolescent depressed or are they not getting enough sleep? Mm. Because there's a big overlap. And one of the things I ask about with the adolescents is, are you enjoying things? Are you enjoying, you know, your your sport or your music or going out with your mates? And if they're enjoying, that, then it's probably not getting enough sleep is the issue, but if they're not enjoying that and they're not getting enough sleep, and I'm thinking about the kids are awake till 1 or 2am, the parents can't get them out of bed in the morning, they start to stop going to school and that gets into a vicious cycle because then they miss out on work, they don't see their peers, they don't want to go back to school and we get this school refusal pattern. But if they're not enjoying things, and by definition for two weeks or more, um, that's starting to creep into depression.
0: Yeah, wow. And so what are some of the other bigger causes of sleep trouble? Adolescence. Well, I
1: think screens, screens, screens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it, it's not like it's they're just the cause, you know, but um, social media becomes incredibly important. Gaming for boys, particularly social media for girls. And I think there's a lot of information showing that the two are related. You know that increased screen time is associated with decreased sleeping time and increased screen time can be associated with poorer mental health in some kids and I think the competitive nature particularly of social media is an issue for girls and teenage girls you know how many likes have I got who's who's responding to my posts etc and I think getting the screens out of the bedroom is is difficult particularly because they have to do homework on these screens um, there is um, an opportunity to sit down with your adolescent and really talk about what is healthy screen time use mm. and have some limits. And and if there's two parents in the household, agree on those those rules and stick to them. And it might be, for example, that you know, Monday to Friday it's time for schoolwork. So you can use your your laptop or your computer for schoolwork. After a certain hour, the phones are out of the bedroom. But on the evening, also oh, on the weekends, then there might be time for games or whatever it might be, but it's a limited time and it comes after you've done your homework and your sport or whatever else might be happening. Mm. But it's really tough because they push back a lot.
2: Yeah, Mm. it's really hard. And I'm just thinking of uh, an adolescent boy I saw about a month ago who um, his parents were we're really working with him, well, to kind of set some limits around um, screen time, and he was being pretty compliant with it, actually. And he wasn't using his phone in the bedroom. And and what he was describing was that even though he was doing that and adhering to that, he was just lying in bed wondering about what was happening on social media. Mm. And so we had to kind of look at some um, ways to kind of manage his thoughts about that and and to be able to cope with that. But it was just so tricky for him because he felt like he was doing the right thing. And okay, I'm not going to use screens. I'm not, you know, and I'm going to work with my parents. But it was still really tricky. For for him I think another thing that influences sleep problems in this group is that irregular sleep wake cycle. So that becomes even more prominent in adolescence where you'll see a kind of a shorter sleep duration happening on weeknights and then kind of overcompensating and trying to get as much sleep as possible on the weekends. And so you kind of you're seeing these biological changes that that mean that your kind of internal kind of rhythm and and need for sleep change and um, biologically, but then your environmental that the environment and the way that you're managing your sleep-wake cycles also has an impact on that. Um, so I think that's a key um, contributing factor alongside the other things we've been talking about too. Yeah. And I'll often say on the weekends
1: to, you know, the adolescents, you can sleep in for another hour, but not longer than that, because yep. then that's going to cause the problems mm. of going to bed late, getting up late Monday morning, etc. And I think school holidays are a particular time when it gets tricky. Mm. Um, and look, they do need to catch up on their sleep. So often I'll say, just let do what you need to do for school holidays, but the week before you go back to school, get back into your good sleep habits mm. and
0: patterns again. What about going to sleep on the weekends? Are, is that similar, yeah. you know, it's pushing similar. it just to. Yes. Yeah, one push hour? it by another hour or yeah. so,
1: because, you know, if they go to sleep at midnight, 1am on Sunday night, Monday morning's not going to be fun.
0: So what are some of the other issues that we see in adolescents?
2: Yeah, so two of the, the kind of main sleep uh, difficulties that we see are um, insomnia and, and something called delayed sleep mm. phase. And so insomnia is um, something we've probably all experienced and, and familiar with. And it's when we have difficulties getting off to sleep or, or staying asleep overnight Um, and so so these are kids that are trying to to get off to sleep, they're lying in bed but they just can't switch off and and, and get to sleep and sometimes that can be related to anxiety and, and worrying about things that have happened during the day for example. But there are other adolescents that I see that kind of end up developing a bit of a worry about being able to fall off to sleep. And and that's because of repeated pattern of going into bed, not being able to fall asleep, then lying in bed thinking, why can't I just fall asleep? Please just fall asleep. And then it becomes an anxiety um, provoking process going into bed. So you become physiologically aroused because you've got, you know, your um, heart beating and, you know, you start to experience some of those physiological symptoms of anxiety. Um, So that's something that we see an increase of in adolescence. And another area is the delayed sleep phase. And so that's the the terminology we use for our sleep phase shifting to to have a preference for a later sleep onset and sleeping later in the morning. So if I use the example of me, I like to go to sleep at 10.30 um, at night and wake up at about six. So that's my kind of rhythm. That's the way that I um, need to my sleep pattern has to be that way for me to fulfill what I need to do the next day. And so if I had a delayed sleep phase, it might shift. So I'm not actually ready to go to bed until 30, sorry, so two hours later. And then my preference would be to sleep in until 8.30 in the morning. What are the other strategies for managing um,
1: the adolescent who can't get off to sleep?
2: Yeah. So if we're, so let's take delayed sleep phase first. So I think we, we talked about um, bedtime fading in our primary school episode but that's that's a really key strategy for delayed sleep phase. so if your natural time that you're falling asleep isn't until you know one o'clock in the morning for example but you need to be getting off to sleep by about 10:30 um, just going to sleep at 10:30 and trying to sleep probably isn't going to go to work. so using that gradual approach of you know taking the pressure off um, going to bed um, at one o'clock, temporarily not even trying to get to sleep earlier and then slowly bringing your bedtime forward but coupling that with all of the healthy sleep strategies that we've been talking about so one of the ones that I didn't mention actually was around having a relaxing bedtime routine and wind down period so that that's really helpful so you'd kind of you'd start off by you know going to sleep 12:45 12:30 and so on, doing it really gradually until you get um, to the desired bedtime. When you're implementing that strategy, it's absolutely essential that the wake time is consistent during that period. So, if the adolescent needs to be up at 6.30, they have to be woken up at 6.30 because if they oversleep, it's just gonna impact on their ability to fall asleep um, at that, you know, at that time that you've set the next night. The other thing that we do with delayed sleep phase is try to get as much light exposure as possible. So, you know, opening up the blinds in the morning, eating breakfast in in, you know, in a, in a light, sunny environment getting lots of outside time and that relates to just ensuring that our internal body clock um, is regulated. The other sleep difficulty um, that is common is insomnia that we, we talked about before and there, are, you can use a similar approach of, you know, if the sleep is occurring much later than it needs to occur, you can use that bedtime fading approach where you go to bed at the time you're naturally falling asleep and bring the bedtime forward um, and that can be really helpful because... When you're trying to go to sleep and you're not falling asleep, that can increase the anxiety that you might be experiencing. So, by putting yourself to bed when you're actually sleepy um, can really help to offset some of that anxiety, but then you slowly bring the bedtime forward. There are some other strategies that we use for insomnia too. So, Some strategies include, you know, even if you go to bed at that later time and you're lying there and you can't get to sleep after about 20 to 30 minutes, getting up, out of bed, doing a quiet activity and returning to bed. Um, So it might be, you know, getting up, sitting in the lounge and reading something and then going back to sleep into bed when you're tired. And that just helps to offset that anxiety related to not being able to fall asleep at night. We can also see some adolescents that kind of develop some um, negative thoughts about bedtime and that can kind of lead to a spiralling of, of anxiety. So they kind of, you know, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep tonight. It's going to be really awful and, and so on. You're kind of setting yourself up for a bad night. So some other strategies we use are what we'd say is a simple cognitive restructuring where we work with the adolescents to change some of their internal dialogue about sleep. So thinking about, well, last night you didn't have a good sleep, You managed to get through the day and it was okay. So even if the sleep isn't that good tonight, you'll be okay. Um, Or even if I'm not getting off to sleep, you know, even just having a rest in my bed is good for me. Um, So trying to think about how you can change some of that internal dialogue um, with the adolescent can be really helpful too. Another thing that's important for, for adolescents is something called stimulus um, control. And this is basically a fancy name for just doing things um, in your bed that are conducive to sleep. So basically only using your bed for sleep rather than doing homework. So being really strict with that because we can see in adolescents that adolescents are just in their bedrooms all the time and doing everything in bed <laughs> but not sleeping. Mm. Um, so trying to change that so they do those other activities outside of the room and only use The better for sleep. Yeah, and I think
1: that's um, another important sort of correlate of this is when do adolescents learn best? When does their brain learn best? And it's actually like 10 or 11 in the morning. And so I have had some adolescents come to me where all the um, really academically challenging subjects are first thing at school and their brains aren't yet ready. Mm. And it's having a conversation with school about scheduling, which is really tricky for schools to do, yeah. but saying, can you actually do the maths class or you know the physics class at 10 or 11 in the morning, not first thing, because their brains haven't actually woken up yet.
0: You've mentioned that some people naturally wake up early. Say someone normally gets up at five thirty. Is it bad if they fight that and hit the snooze button?
1: <laughs> if they're naturally waking up early, you shouldn't fight it. I, I tend to find that even if they've done that um, in their early years of life, that such is the change in adolescence that that temporarily gets overridden, and they do sleep in and which parents can be hallelujah, at last they're sleeping in beyond five thirty in the morning, but they shift to that adolescent, you know, later morning wake up and it becomes a challenge. But if you're lucky and you've got an adolescent who is getting up and is feeling awake at 5, 30, 6am,
2: um, let them go for it. That's fantastic. I think the I think that's exactly right. I think the, the exception to that is if it's occurring within um, insomnia. So often when we think about insomnia, we think about the difficulty that we have getting off to sleep at night but it can also show up in waking up overnight and having an interrupted sleep and also early morning waking. So it means that the kind of whole quality of the sleep has been disrupted and what you're looking for there is that they wake up not feeling refreshed and ready for the day. So they're up... 5 a.m., but they don't want to be. They're really wrecked and tired, and would be preferring to sleep, but just can't get off to sleep. So it's kind of looking at how you feel when you wake up. Do you feel refreshed and ready for the day, um, or are you feeling really sluggish and you know, like yeah. you're not ready for?
1: <laughs> you want more mm. sleep. That's yeah. a good point, Em. And certainly, that early morning waking can be another symptom of depression. So again, yes. is the is your adolescent enjoying stuff? Uh, what's happened to their eating patterns as well as their sleeping patterns,
2: and being aware of that.
0: How how do we really identify those problems and then begin taking steps towards managing them?
2: The first thing to look at um, with managing these kinds of problems are what we would call sleep hygiene or sl- healthy sleep habits. And there are a number of different um, healthy sleep habits that we, we would consider first to see whether or not kind of tweaking some of those can lead to improved sleep. So some of those things might be looking at caffeine intake and making sure that caffeine isn't being consumed in large quantities and also um, close to, to bedtime. So we'd kind of say not having any caffeine after three o'clock, uh, for example, if you know, the it's better if they can avoid it altogether, but trying to set some limits around when the last caffeinated drink might be. I guess trying to work towards some consistency in in those sleep-wake um, cycles. So thinking about, okay, what time do I need to be awake in the morning? Um, so if it's 6.30 in the morning, kind of working back to say, okay, in order for me to feel well-rested, what time do I need to go to sleep and try to implement a set routine around sleep um, is something else that can be considered as a healthy sleep habit. We've touched on screens and media free time, but also having a look at, you know, making sure that there are no screens at least an hour before bedtime, which and I think gets hard with homework. That's It's really tricky. Um, yeah. And it's also hard because I guess in adolescents they want to be using screens um, and saying, I'm not going to use a screen an hour before bedtime. I Many adolescents are going to say, no way, I'm, mm. I want to use screens. So, But I think with all of these healthy sleep habits that's working um, in partnership with the adolescent to decide what strategies they want to try related to sleep. So it's not... Going to be effective to say you must do this. Um, the adolescent has to to be motivated to make the changes. So we find that kind of using a an approach where we um, ask the adolescents what things they might they feel comfortable tweaking in relation to their sleep routine and starting from there. So it's really in their control. Is I, I think that's
1: absolutely essential. You, unlike you know toddlers or even primary school age children. These adolescents are on their way to becoming adults, and you can't um, you can't make them do things without them also agreeing. And um, one of the best ways for all sleep issues in adolescents, I find, if they've got to make quite major changes, is to write up a contract with them where the adolescent has to do something but in return the parent has to do something and the adolescent gets to choose that and it might be, well, for mum and dad to stop nagging me about the state of my bedroom (laughs) and the parent has to do that and then I actually, if they're with me, I get them to sign a contract and I sign it as well and that's just a little bit of a way of, yeah, having that negotiation between the adolescent and the parent so it's not all the parent's way and the adolescent does feel some control of the situation and what's happening.
2: Yeah, we recently um, completed a a small pilot study where we tested out some of these strategies um, with adolescents and asked for their feedback on trying these strategies out at home. And I just recall a quote from one of the adolescents where we asked them what they found the worst thing about the program was, and they said, my parents nagging me to to do the strategies. (laughs) And so I think it just really highlights that balance to kind of have parents being there as a supporter and providing some kind of framework and consistency around it, but without being too over-imposing because it just makes the adolescents pull back.
0: Mm. What sort of approach would you take to a fairly rebellious teenager? They've got their social circles now and starting to develop these, these really strong personalities.
1: This is really tricky and you've got to make the adolescents see value in making the change. So is there anything about their lack of sleep that is affecting their ability the next day in something they care about, sport or something like that. So you've got to try and find something that matters to them. And I think the parents, this is where the contract can sometimes help. Um, If they see mum and dad are going to stop nagging me about X or let me do Y, then if mum and dad are going to make the change, then I will, and it's sort of fair, fair exchange. But I think it's really tricky and I think you also need to look at is there anything else going on in their life that is making them rebellious? Is there other stuff going on at home or at school that you need to address? Because sometimes these kids are acting out because they are falling behind at school or they are getting bullied or mum and dad are going through a separation or a divorce or something like that and there might be context to that that you need to understand and try and fix as well.
0: So you mentioned one of the strategies previously, muscle relaxation and visual imagery. Can that now be applied here as well?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great technique for adolescents. And I think they often find these um, things themselves or they're being taught about these techniques at school. But that combined with mindfulness um, really helps. I find some adolescents, um, there's a lot of, you know, apps again. This is tricky. The phone's in the bedroom, but with different white noises on it, you know, rain falling, Mm. leaves rustling, and that can be good as well. It's all about, yeah, just that cognitive restructuring that Emma was talking about of changing your attitude towards not being able to fall asleep, accepting that as okay and just saying A rest is as good as sleep Distracting your mind from those thoughts, and that's what the sequential muscle, you know, relaxation does do as well. And if you're on the, you know, on the beach and the sun is shining, the waves are coming up in and out of the shore, and the birds are off in the distance, and the sun is warm, and there's a cool breeze coming over your body, you can start to go to sleep, and that that I think can really be really helpful.
0: Sleep was presented by Harriet Hiscock and Emma Chabaris, and produced by me, Matt Dwyer. Audio production done by Darcy Thompson and our executive producer is Jen Goggin.